Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Kaiju Carnage. I am your host, Cal the Kaiju Guy. So, what's up, everybody? Hope everyone's having a good day. And today, I am starting a new segment that I'm pretty much doing a test run on. I've already, already received a number of messages from some of my listeners saying that they were looking forward to this episode, that they were interested in seeing future segments like this and all of that kind of stuff, but uh, this is still a test run, so I'm going to see how the reaction goes, how many people listen to the episode and all of that kind of stuff, and that will determine if I do this again moving forward in the future and all of that. And so the new segment is called Real Life Kaiju, in which I'm going to tackle creatures from folklore. Um, I don't want to necessarily just say folklore, but creatures that people, it's either they are confirmed to exist, or there's been enough sightings to where like there's the possibility that they exist, such as the Loch Ness Monster. Like, is Nessie really out there in Loch Ness? You know, at the end of the day, who knows? Was she ever really out there? Who knows? But there's been enough sightings, there's been enough reportings and all of that kind of stuff um, to the point where I feel like I would be able to talk about that in the future. But today, I'm going to be talking about a creature that is 100% confirmed to exist. There's, there's been a documentary on this creature that was done by PBS. There have been numerous YouTubers and things like that that have covered him in short, like, 9 to to 11 minute uh, videos and things like that, just talking about him in general. And so I'm going to be talking about him. This is a creature that I've been fascinated with since the early 2000s. And I'm very, very excited to get into this episode because I'm all about talking about this particular creature. But before I jump into the episode... I would like to go on ahead and point something out. Um, for you diehard listeners that listen to the, the show pretty often and everything, you knew that I was, you know, like if everything went according to plan, I was going to be going to see Shin Ultraman uh, yesterday, at that not yesterday, uh, Thursday at the time of this recording. And I went, I got off work, and drove immediately to Lafayette because Lafayette is only an hour drive from where I work versus an hour and a half drive from where I live. So as soon as I got off work, I brought a change of clothes with me and I, I got it and I drove to Lafayette, went to the theater and watched Shin Ultraman and I was pumped. I was excited, could not wait, was very, very happy and all of that. Uh, whenever the Toho logo popped up on screen, like I pulled out my phone and snapped a picture of it and all of that kind of stuff just because, you know, I was excited. I was happy and everything. I was grinning ear to ear. And then the movie started and about 10 minutes into the movie, I realized this movie is not very good. <laughs> so, yeah, um, <clears throat> unfortunately, I did not care for the film. It has, it doesn't have a whole lot of redeeming qualities for me. Um, as far as like the kaiju community goes, like on social media and all of that kind of stuff, uh, I appear to be in the minority. A lot of kaiju, other kaiju content creators that I am friends with, 
have been posting things on Instagram and Facebook and all of that left and right, talking about how much they loved it, how much it was amazing, and how like it's like the second coming of Christ. It was so good and all of that kind of stuff. And I just I'm just sitting here thinking to myself, like, what movie did y'all watch? You know, <laughs> like I just I did not. I, I don't I don't get it I, I don't understand why it's um well I mean I do get it to an extent um but yeah I just I I did not care for the movie like at all like have very very few positive things to to say about it and all of that but I wanted to tell you guys that one just to let you guys know how uh how the movie went for me and one of the things that aggravates me the most is that I drove all the way to Lafayette to watch a garbage movie, but um, <clears throat> I'm going to be giving my full review on the film this Wednesday on the weekly Kaiju Havoc at the time of this recording. So in just like you know about four, four, five days or so, I'll be doing my official review of Shin Ultraman. Now, for the most part, it will be spoiler-free. There are a few things, like particular scenes, I might go into a little bit of detail with and all of that kind of stuff and give a few things away. But as far as, like, plot-wise, I don't plan on giving anything away and all of that kind of stuff. So I'm going to give a warning at the beginning of the episode, and I'm giving a warning now, that for you spoiler crazy people that just absolutely do not want any type of spoiler whatsoever, I suggest you avoid that review. Because <clears throat> I'm not going to intend to give anything away, but at the end of the day, you know, I am going to be talking about a movie that some of you, uh, likely most of you, have not seen. And if you don't want any type of spoilers, then I highly suggest that you stay away from that episode. But, yeah, I'm going to go into detail about my full thoughts and opinions about uh, Ultraman, Shin Ultraman. Um, like I said, as far as like the, the community on social media, um, I'm apparently in the minority, but overall I'm apparently not so much in the minority. The film received very mixed reviews in Japan. It received very good reviews here in the States out of like 21 reviews on Rotten Tomatoes is currently sitting at a 96% approval rating. And it had, um, as far as users go, the last time I checked, about an 82% approval rating. However, over on IMDb, uh, over about 2,400 votes or so, it's currently sitting at a 6.5. So, it's apparently a very polarizing film. Like, it is going to split people down the middle. You're either going to really enjoy the film or you're going to not enjoy the film. And unfortunately, I'm one of the ones that did not enjoy it. I was very much looking forward to it. Um, you know, same director that did Shin Godzilla. You guys know I'm a massive fan of Shin Godzilla. Um, I'm a decent enough fan of Ultraman. I've uh, Since the last time I've talked about, you know, Ultraman and all of that kind of stuff, I've really watched a lot more episodes and some of the movies and all of that kind of stuff. So <clears throat> I have a number of collectibles of Ultraman, like some figures and stuff like that, like, you know, for the most part, I am a fan of Ultraman, and I knew what the film was going to be going into it, I knew it was going to be paying homage to the original series, there was going to be a lot of Easter eggs, there was going to be a lot of callbacks and stuff like that, I knew all of that going in, and it still just fell flat to me, but, um, 
I'm not here to talk about Shin Ultraman today. I just want to let you guys know that um, I will be giving my official review this Wednesday on the film and all of that. So if you want to hear my thoughts and opinions and all of that kind of stuff on the movie, um, which, by the way, don't just take what I say about the movie as as like gold and all of that kind of stuff. You know, I'm a big fan of like always disregard what critics have to say. If they praise a movie, if they, you know, trash a movie or anything like that, don't pay any attention to the fan base and all of that kind of stuff. I'm a big, big proprietor of go in, watch the movie, form your own opinion, think for yourself and all of that kind of stuff. Like don't just go off of, well, everybody says this movie is good. So yeah, it was really good. Or, well, this one guy that I listened to on a podcast, he's a kaiju guy and all that kind of stuff. He said the movie was trash, so I think the movie is trash. Like, don't don't go in thinking that, you know. Just go in and, and watch the movie uh, however well you can. I hear it's going to be giving more uh, dates, like theatrical releases here in the States prior to it coming out on Blu-ray and DVD, which I will own it on, on Blu-ray. Uh, whenever it comes out, because I am a fan, and whether I enjoyed it or not, it's going to be part of my collection. Simple as that. But, um, yeah, just, you know, watch the movie for yourselves whenever you get the opportunity, and form your own opinion. Don't don't just take what I say as gold, and don't take what any other fan or critic or anything like that has to say as gold. Just watch it for yourself, form your own opinion, and all of that. But, again, I'm not here to talk about Shin Ultraman. Uh, I am here to talk about a creature, like I said earlier, that has fascinated me since the early 2000s. Not just this creature in particular, but the particular species that he is a part of. I am here to talk about a very well-known creature in Africa um, that goes by the name of Gustav the Crocodile. Now... He is a Nile crocodile. He's not a saltwater crocodile. But even though he is a Nile crocodile, which are usually smaller than saltwater crocodiles, he is a massive crocodile. And I decided that I wanted to talk about him just because of how notorious he is for what he's known for, for what he's known as. The fact that in the area that he resided in for a number of years, he pretty much attained mythical status and all of that kind of stuff. He's he's a monster of a creature. And I'm a big fan of him. I know it's weird to say that you're a fan of a man-eater, but, uh, you know, like, he's just, he's a very fascinating creature. He's a very fascinating case. I love looking at pictures of him. I love watching what very little uh, video footage of him exists. You know, I enjoy watching that. And all of that kind of stuff added up all together. There's less, probably less than 15 or 20 minutes accumulated video footage of him in existence and all of that. And the vast majority of that video footage comes from the 2004 PBS documentary that I've recommended a number of times on here called Capturing the Killer Croc. Now, <clears throat> I'm gonna talk about crocodiles and alligators here for just a minute just to let you guys know like how fascinated with them that I am now he is a crocodile he's not an alligator I don't know how many of you I'm not trying to sound condescending or that you know speak to you guys like you're uneducated or anything but there is a massive difference between 
crocodiles than alligators. For one, crocodiles are much, much larger. And generally, they're more aggressive. Now, crocodiles are not, you know, they kind of have this stigma about them that they're just, they're super aggressive, they're super mean, they'll attack anything that gets near them and all of that kind of stuff, which nine times out of ten is not true. Like, there is no cases of an entire species being vindictive towards other species and things like that. I mean, other than hippos. Hippos are, you know, they're not nice words. I almost slipped up and said something else. But they're, um, they're the not nice words of the animal kingdom. Uh, Emily's favorite animal, actually, is the hippo. And I've, I've told her numerous times, like, you, you, you really picked one of the meanest animals out there like they're extremely territorial uh they don't care what you are or who you are if you get into their territory they're gonna they're gonna grab you and body slam the ever blankety blanket out of you like for for getting anywhere near near them or their territory and all of that but uh crocodiles have a stigma of being very aggressive and being that way and all of that which most of the time, they're not. Whenever they attack things, you know, they're they're just, they're an animal. They're attacking things to eat it, to consume it. And I guess why people have the stigma about them is just because of the number of videos and things like that that are out there where it shows, you know, you see lots of things on National Geographic or things like that where uh, wildebeests or water buffalo and things like that are crossing a river and crocodiles are just grabbing them and dragging them under the water left and right and all of that kind of stuff. But you have to understand, a lot of times there are hundreds of animals that are trying to cross and that particular riverbank will be filled with hundreds of crocodiles. Now, crocodiles, after they consume something pretty large, they can usually go a pretty good ways without eating again, sometimes up to six or seven months, uh, sometimes even longer before they have to eat again. And all of that kind of stuff. I mean, it's just, it's the animal kingdom. That's just, that's just how things are over there. Now, being from Louisiana, I'm, I'm no stranger whenever it comes to alligators and all of that. The American alligator. Um, for those of you that are wondering if you ever see a picture or a video of an alligator or a crocodile and you sit there and you, you genuinely wonder which one is the croc and which one is the alligator. Like, how can you tell the difference? One of the key differences is not just in size, but one of the key differences in being able to tell the difference between an alligator and a crocodile is to just simply look at their snout. Um, a crocodile has more of a very narrow snout that comes to a point just about. Pretty much think of like their head is kind of like a diamond shape or an arrow shape or something like that to where it comes to a point, whereas an alligator's snout is much more rounded. Usually the end of their nose is about the same width as their head or something like that, whereas the crocodile is much more pointed and all of that. So that's the best way to be able to tell the difference between the two. If you're ever watching a video or you see a picture and you see it, just look at their snout. If it's narrow, it's a crocodile. If it's rounded and, um, you know, somewhat wide, then it's an alligator. But yeah, in Louisiana, we have we have plenty of gators. Plenty of them. You know, like I know Florida gets a lot of um a lot of attention whenever it comes to alligators and all of that kind of stuff like, you know, but 
there's a lot of alligators here in Louisiana as well. I mean, I don't know if you guys have ever seen the TV show called Swamp People. Um, I believe that's what it's called. I, I don't watch the show. I've, I've, I've watched a few episodes of it, and it's it's such a dramatized, nonsensical thing whenever it comes to actually hunting alligators. They make it so much more of a big deal than what it actually is. Like, I can absolutely assure you that whenever they trap a gator and they go to pull it up from the line and that gator goes to thrashing and all of that, um... Good luck trying to hold that, that line still while that gator's thrashing and all of that kind of stuff. Like, nine times out of ten, gators, like, once they're caught, just grab the line and gently pull up. And they'll float right to the top, and then they put a bullet in their head, and that's it. There's no fight. There's no thrashing. There's no nothing. Every now and then there is and everything, but, you know, not very often are you going to see someone trying to hang on to that line and wrestle an alligator to keep them at the top of the water so that somebody else can shoot them. Like, it's just not... It's just not going to happen. Um, there, there's a lot of people down here that has gone gator trapping, gator hunting, and all of that kind of stuff that whenever they talk about the show, they're like, yeah, it's entertaining. But they're like, that, that's not that's not how, how it happens. <laughs> but, um, you know, anything for ratings. Um... <clears throat> but anywho, we, yeah, we are no stranger to alligators. Like, there are plenty down here. Heck, I work in Bunky, Louisiana, and where I work, we have a, a canal that runs through our, our yard, uh, at the shop that we work at, and we call it the Bayou. Uh, that's Bayou for you non, um, <laughs> you non-Louisianians and all of that, but we call it the Bayou, and we have an alligator that lives in there. Uh, it's a it's a small one. His name is Fred. Yes, we named him. Um, all the hunters and stuff like that, that, you know, they go out and they, they duck hunt or deer hunt and all that kind of stuff after they're done skinning the animals and all of that kind of stuff. They take the remains and dump it into the water, and that we essentially feed Fred. Um, but he's he's a small little gator. He's only about three four foot max, uh, you can't really get too close to him or he dives off into the water. The closest I've been to him is about 20, 25 feet away from him. I've got plenty of pictures of him. I've got a few videos of him and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, like, so that, that's just how common they are down here. Uh, whenever I worked offshore, I did a job in a little place not very far away from Lake Charles, Louisiana called Grand Chenier. And um, we were staying in Lake Charles in hotels and all that, and we would drive to Grand Chenier on our way, you know, in the mornings uh, to go to work. And there was not a single day driving back and forth to that land rig that I did not see at least 10 alligators a day. Swimming through the water, just chilling on the bank, like next to the, right next to the highway. Uh, there was one, apparently one got a little bit too close to the highway and he got run over and he was dead and he was a massive dude. He was probably about 10 foot long and, um, just laying on the side of the road dead. And I saw some that were anywhere between eight to 10 feet, just swimming in the water. I saw some that were only about two foot long or something like that. But yeah, um, I was at that land rig for about two weeks. And like I said, not a day went by that I did not see at least 10 alligators. So, we, we've got plenty of alligators here 
in Louisiana and all of that. Um, very, very familiar with them and seeing them and dealing with them and, and all of that kind of stuff. Um, <clears throat> I'm very fascinated with alligators and crocodiles. Like, I would probably put them... I would be hesitant to say top five favorite animals of all time, but at least they're, they're at least in my top ten favorite animals of all time. Um, on my Facebook, I like numerous pages that's like, you know, dedicated to crocodiles and alligators. Same thing on Instagram and same thing on TikTok. I love watching videos of them. Uh, we have a zoo here in Alexandria, Louisiana, and we, they've got some pretty big crocs. I mean, not crocs, um, alligators there. Uh, that we go, um, I'm always, ever since I was a little kid, I loved going to the alligator exhibit and looking at them and watching them and all of that kind of stuff. I've always just been very, very fascinated with them. And so naturally being fascinated with alligators ever since I was a little kid, it got me to the point where I was fascinated with, uh, crocodiles as I got older and all of that. And I would watch a lot of things on National Geographic and other like Animal Planet and nature documentaries and things like that dedicated to crocodiles. Um, yeah, daily. I would say daily I watch videos of crocodiles in Africa and, and all of that kind of stuff. Like that's, that's just how, how fascinated I am with them. But this particular croc, he's not your average croc. Like... Part of the reason why he's become so renowned and so well-known amongst the people and all that, uh, and to the world, moreover, not only just because of the documentary capturing the killer croc that pretty much put him on the map for the whole world to be able to look at and read about and all of that kind of stuff, but it's also because of his massive size. Now, adult... Nile crocodiles slash saltwater crocodiles, once they're fully grown, they can get anywhere, like, you know, they'll stop, they never really stop growing, but they slow down considerably once they get to a certain size. And once they are full grown, they'll be anywhere from 10 to 17 slash 18 feet long or something like that. Um, the largest saltwater crocodile in existence, I'm going to, uh, do a size comparison between this creature and Gustav. First of all, Gustav has never actually officially been measured or weighed or anything like that because he's completely in the wild. He's never been captured. The only way to really, you know, measure a, a croc or an alligator or something, is to capture them, sedate them, and then measure them to see how large that they are and all of that kind of stuff. But just by looking at him and watching him and all of that kind of stuff, he is estimated to be about 20 feet long and upwards of 2,000 pounds. Like, he's, he's big. He's massive. And the place that he lives is the country of Burundi, and it's uh, he mostly resides in the Ruzizi River. Now, like I said, he is a Nile crocodile, <clears throat> and the area, the village that he that he pretty much resides around, Burundi is a very poor 
country. A lot of times, these countries, these very poor countries in Africa and all of that kind of stuff, they do not have, like, running water or electricity or anything like that. Burundi itself, just a few years ago, you know, they, they hold polls and stuff like that to see how happy people are and all of that kind of stuff. And I believe, um, I believe it's Holland, maybe it was Denmark, that's more than once been named as, like, the happiest place on Earth. Like, the citizens of those of Denmark, like, has been, like, cons consistently ranked as, like, one of the happiest countries to live in and all of that. The country of Burundi, just a number of years ago, was ranked the least happy country to, to live in. So that should let you know, like, the, like, how it is down there and all of that kind of stuff. You know, like I said, there's no electricity, there's no running water for a lot of the villages and villagers and all of that kind of stuff. And because of that, naturally, when you have no running water, the, the way to get water is to go down to the river. And it's not just getting like a bucket of water and then going back home. I mean, they go there, that's where they bathe sometimes. That's where they wash their clothes. That's where they do a lot of stuff, you know. They're not just going to, you know, go and tote bucket after bucket after bucket of water back to their home or something like that that could potentially be half a mile away but so by the time they get to the river they're just like anything that we need dealing with water we're going to take care of right here well because there are so many people there in the water and near the water and all of that kind of stuff naturally there's a lot of crocodile attacks that happen and all of that <clears throat> now it has sped up crocodile attacks have sped up because back in the 1950s um, at the Ruzizi River, there used to be a whole lot of different animals and everything that would stay there. We're talking about like buffalo and wildebeest and all that kind of stuff. So the crocs would be able to pretty much eat those animals and all of that. But whenever, just because of human expansion and people going in and poachers and hunters and all of that kind of stuff, they've essentially wiped out a lot of the animals that used to go to the Ruzizi River for whatever reason that they would go there for. <clears throat> So the Ruzizi River is pretty much home now to primarily crocodiles and hippos. And probably, like, in the top five of all time, there isn't two animals that share an uneasy relationship probably more than hippos and crocodiles. Nine times out of ten, you watch any documentary, any, any documentary, dealing with African animals or stuff like that, and you get to something that take place, takes place in the river or in a lake or something like that, you will see hippos and you will see crocodiles. Like, that's just, they are pretty much always around one another, and they're very uneasy with one another. Yes, hippos get much larger than crocodiles, but depending on the size of the crocodile, a hippo may actually, you know, be able to take down an adult crocodile, you know, they, they absolutely can, but they're not going to walk away unscathed. And, you know, animals are not like humans to where it's like, oh, if I get hurt, I'll just go to the hospital. There is no hospital, you know, so if a hippo wants to throw down with an adult 18 to 20 foot crocodile, yeah, the hippo nine times out of 10 is going to win. But, you know, at what cost? They might lose half their face. They might have a big old gash in their belly after it's done and all of that kind of stuff to where like, yeah, 
it won the fight, but it lost the war. <laughs> you know, it, it would die eventually or something like that. So very uneasy relationship on the river between these two animals and all of that. Now, most of the information that comes out of concerning Gustav that everyone is aware of is because of a PBS special that I've talked about before that came out in 2004 and is called Capturing the Killer Croc. Um, I highly recommend it. I watched it again this morning. Just, you know, like in, in probably the last two weeks, I've watched that documentary three times. I'm a big, big fan of it. Um, it's an hour long. I will go on ahead and let you guys know. There's a lot of buildup until we actually get to see Gustav. Um, probably about 30 minutes just talking about him before he finally shows up. But I told Emily the other day, because she was watching it with me, I said the big reveal of actually revealing Gustav and us getting to see him for the first time, like for the documentary and all of that kind of stuff, I put it on the same level as like the first time we see King Kong on screen or the first time we see Bruce the Shark on screen from Jaws. Like they did a very, very, very good job of hyping him up and building him up. And then when he finally arrives, like, you know, you can't help but maybe feel chills whenever he shows up and all of that. So it's it's pretty cool. But in the documentary, three scientists are pretty much determined to capture Gustav, not simply just because they want to study him, but also just because he is pretty much a menace to um to the surrounding villages and all of that kind of stuff, and they want to protect the people and all of that. And naturally, they're just afraid that eventually hunters or poachers or possibly even the military will kill Gustav, which, you know, there's there's a lot of people that split down the middle whenever it comes to man-eaters. I've talked to a number of people that basically say, oh, if it's a man-eater, it needs to die immediately. Whereas I'm like, no, it doesn't. Like, you know, I'm I'm a big believer in just like leaving it alone you know like even though it's like oh I, the, you know they sit there and like well you care more about that animal than you do people and all that it's not necessarily true the animal is just doing what an animal does you know like i mean there's no need to kill it and so that's why a lot of times they try to capture uh man eaters and things like that so that they can study them and all of that unless like you know you're talking about like india where india is pretty much overrun with tigers even though tigers are endangered tigers are pretty heavily in india and there's a number of uh like human attacks uh that take place and all of that kind of stuff so if if it gets bad bad yeah they'll go out and they'll kill the tiger but uh, even though they're endangered you know and poachers naturally go out and they they're constantly trying to to kill these animals because they are endangered, they are protected, so therefore a lot of things about them are very rare to come across and all of that, and so, you know, it is what it is. But they were going to try and capture <clears throat> Gustav so that they could relocate him, put him in an enclosure that they were building at the time and all of that so that they could study him, it would protect him, it would protect the people in the surrounding area and all of that kind of stuff. Now, I'm going to do a size comparison real quick with another crocodile that was captured in the Philippines. Now, this took place after this documentary and all that. Like I said, the documentary for Gustav came out in 2004, whereas this particular creature by the name of Lolong was captured in the Philippines in 2011. Now, before Lolong was captured, it was very much believed and estimated that Gustav was the 
largest crocodile that had ever been seen, that had ever been reported, and all of that kind of stuff. But because of this creature, Lolong, he was actually captured in the Philippines. He was put in an enclosure. He died not long after that because due to stress and all of that kind of stuff because people just kept going in and bothering him. They would constantly drain his water tank to where and leave it drained for no telling how long to where he didn't have water uh, to be able to move around because of his massive size and all of that kind of stuff, and he ended up dying. Um, <clears throat> animal rights organizations were furious about it, obviously, because, one, they took him out of his natural habitat under the guise of, we're going to protect him, and then just two years later, he died because of human negligence. Um, but anywho, I might, you know, I might talk about Lo Long on a future episode because he, he's pretty massive himself. So like I said with Gustav, um, he's estimated to be at least 18 to 20 feet long and pot and 2000 plus pounds. Lo Long was actually measured and holds the Guinness book of world records as the largest saltwater crocodile ever recorded at 20 feet and three inches long and 2,370 pounds. And like I said, he was captured in 2011. <clears throat> now, that's pretty much a size comparison because you look at Gustav and you kind of hear like, oh, he could potentially be more than 20 feet, easily more than 2,000 pounds. But, you know, just looking at pictures of him and all of that kind of stuff, you're like, eh, it's still kind of hard to gauge. So if you want to have an idea of how big Gustav is, just Google Lolong, the saltwater crocodile, and see him, how he was captured. There are plenty of pictures and videos of him next to, of humans, like next to him and all of that kind of stuff, and think that there's not that big of a size difference between Lolong and Gustav. So however big Lolong is, you can pretty much bet that Gustav is the same size or possibly a little larger or a little smaller. Like, you know, they're, they're roughly the same. And all of that. Now, Gustav was named by French zoologist Patrice Fay, and he lives in Burundi. And he's pretty much he's been there for years and years and years, and he's developed a very good relationship with the villagers and all of that kind of stuff. And so, um, you know, he is a scientist, and so he had been there for a while studying animals and all of that kind of stuff. And it got to the point to where he was basically like, "We need to do something about Gustav." He did not want Gustav to die. You know, as I said a little while ago, he's just doing what an animal does. So he was pretty much the mastermind behind, we need to capture Gustav and put him in an enclosure of some kind, not just to protect him, but to also protect the people in the surrounding area and all of that kind of stuff. Now, I know what a lot of you were thinking, like how in the world... Like, if there's so many crocodiles in that area, why are so many human deaths and human attacks attributed to one creature and one creature alone? Like, how in the world could they possibly tell? There are other large crocodiles out there and all of that kind of stuff. While, yes, there are and all that, considering that Gustav is estimated to be about 20 feet, even if you see a crocodile that's, you know, 14 foot long, or something like that. Yeah, he's big, but that's a six foot different. I'm six foot tall. So that's basically like you take a crocodile, a 14 foot crocodile, lay it down, put the bottom of my feet at its snout and think that 
for my the rest of my length, there's another crocodile that is as big as me and that crocodile put together. That's pretty massive. So one, it's his size that people are able, once they see an attack happen or something like that, and they start talking about how big the croc was, they're like, oh, that's Gustav, because he's easily the largest crocodile in the area and all of that. So it's not that's not hard to distinguish the difference between him and the other crocs. The other way that they're able to tell that there's a difference is because he has very, like, pronounced wounds that have been on him throughout his life. One thing is his shoulder. He has a pretty, you can tell he has a pretty big shoulder wound that has healed up that Patrice believes was possibly a spear attack from a poacher or possibly even a fisherman that was that saw him and was simply trying to defend himself and all of that. And he also has a row of bullet wounds um, that you can tell is from an automatic rifle or something like that that goes down his right side um, that he was able to survive. So he apparently has bullets inside of him and all of that. And so not only because of his size, but because of the well-known wound on his shoulder and also the bullet scars, the multiple bullet scars that are on his side and all of that kind of stuff. That's how whenever people see him, they know for a fact it's him. And also that just adds to his you know, mythical status that they've given to where it's like, not only is he this large, not only has he killed so many people that he's killed and all of that kind of stuff, he's been attacked. People have shot him with automatic weapons and all of that kind of stuff, and he's still around, making it seem as if he's unkillable and all of that, to the point to where a lot of villagers believe that he is a curse that was done by a medicine woman slash a witch or something like that, and that's what fuels him, that he's basically fueled by dark magic and stuff like that. Um, I don't know if I've mentioned, but he is credited with possibly 200 plus kills in the area since he's been around. Now, the only problem with that is saying, in saying that he's killed over 200 people is that, again, since he has reached that mythical status, it's basically to the point of, I think a lot of people down there, like, if they just find the remains of somebody, if the, like, if he was attacked, if someone was attacked by a crocodile or whatever, some people just immediately label it as Gustav. Oh, man, Gustav got him, or something like that, you know, or anytime they witness a crocodile attacking, you know, crocodile attacks are very fast. It can be difficult to see the wounds that are very prolific on Gustav to be able to be like, oh yeah, that's for sure Gustav or something like that, because he might be 20 feet, but they might see someone get taken under the water by a croc that is 17 feet or something like that. You know, it's still a pretty good size croc. And we all know it's human nature. People tend to exaggerate things. I mean, there's some people in the area that have seen him and before this documentary came out and all of that, and it's estimated to where he's around 20 feet long, many, many, many residents of the area swore up and down he was 40 foot long. He was just this massive monster of a creature. And then the documentary team shows up, they see him, they film him, they take pictures of him and all of that kind of stuff. And he's only half the size of a, as what a lot of the residents were saying. So... 
you know, there, there's probably a lot of kills that has happened on the Ruzizi River that had nothing to do with Gustav. It was just some other crocodile. Because if they're going to look at a 20-foot croc and say, oh, that he was 40 foot long, even if they only see a 12-foot croc or a 13-foot croc, they might immediately be like, oh, he was 25 feet. He was almost 30 feet. It had to have been Gustav. He was so large, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So there's probably a lot of kills that were attributed to Gustav that he had nothing to do with or anything like that. So, you know, it just just is the way that it is and all of that. Now, back to Patrice Fay. He is, like I said, he's a French zoologist and he's the one that pretty much decided we need to capture Gustav. We need to put an end to this and all of that. So he's the one that masterminded the capture attempt and all of that. And whenever he went to go ask for permission from the government to be able to try and do this, because even though Nile crocodiles and saltwater crocodiles are not endangered, they are actually labeled as least concerned um, on that scale of like vulnerable or endangered or extinct and all of that kind of stuff. There, there's plenty of them out there. They're not in danger in the slightest of going extinct. But even though they are at least concerned, a lot of like where they live is on national parks, park reserves and all of that kind of stuff. So they are protected by the government and all of that. So for anyone to have anything to do with a crocodile to hunt it or kill it or anything like that, you know, it's not like here in Louisiana or Florida or just some of the other southern states where there's hunting seasons for alligators and all of that kind of stuff. That's a big no-no <laughs> over there when it comes to the crocodiles and all of that. They are very, very, very much protected and all of that. So Patrice had to go get permission from the government to attempt to capture him and relocate him. And permission was granted. They said, yes, absolutely, you can try to capture him. However, you're only going to have two months to get it done because there was about to be a changing of the guard in Burundi. The government was going to be changing and all of that kind of stuff. And it was very hostile at the time. There was political turmoil that was going on. And whenever that happened, they wasn't going to be able to guarantee the safety of the scientists or anything like that. So they said, you've got two months to try and get this done. And if you can't get it done, you need to get out of the area from the Ruzizi River and all of that because we cannot guarantee your safety because the military is going to be coming in and we virtually don't know what's going to happen. So we're going to revoke your passes and all of that kind of stuff. So you've got 60 days. Make it happen. So Patrice sets forth and he designs a giant cage, a massive, massive cage. I mean, the things like 30 to 40 foot long, weighed one ton, and all of that kind of stuff. And he designed it, and he built a small model of it, just a prototype, just to kind of be like, this is the scale that we're going to go off of, and all of that. And the model was roughly, I'd say, about 12 foot tall, probably 12 by 12, and probably about three and a half to four foot long. And... He built it just to be like, okay, this is the basic design. And then he rounded up a lot of the villagers and was like, we need to put this thing together. They started putting it together. They designed it to where like all of the ends of the bolts were pointing outward and they rounded off on any sharp edges or things like that because they didn't want any harm to come to Gustav or anything like that. So that's pretty much what they did. Prior to this documentary, there was only one 
that pretty much had come forth. There was only one bit of video footage that had ever been captured of Gustav, and it was captured by Patrice. And he shows this video, this video in the documentary. You can actually see it and all of that kind of stuff whenever an individual by the name of Mark Iguanzana shows up. I believe that's how you pronounce his last name. Now, he is a scientist that runs a croc reserve and all of that. And so that guy was pretty much going to help, like, once they captured Gustav, helping with creating the enclosure, designing the enclosure, and all that. He had lots and lots and lots of experience of dealing with crocs after they were captured. And Patrice shows this individual the footage. And whenever you see the footage, Patrice claims that the footage was taken in the late 90s, 98 or 99. And whenever you see the footage, whenever you actually see Gustav, it's not a very good look at him or anything like that. He appears that he's dead. Like he's kind of halfway submerged into the water and all of that kind of stuff. And so they're looking at him, they're studying him. And whenever they were moving around to try and get like a good look at his head, Gustav noticed them. He dived off into the water and or dove off into the water and then that was it. He was gone. And that was pretty much the only video footage of Gustav that existed until this documentary. Not only did Patrice enlist the help of Mark, he also enlisted the help of Dr. Allison Leslie, who had a lot of experience in capturing crocs. At the time of that documentary in 2004, she, had, she was responsible for capturing over 400 crocodiles to remove them from areas, to put them in a reserve or something like that. So she was also brought in to to help out and all of that kind of stuff. And so they started looking at the cage like, okay, like this is how it's going to be. How do we need to position it? How are we going to bait it and all of that kind of stuff? Which, by the way, after the cage was completely done, it was 90 foot long by um, 45 foot. Uh, I, I had to have written that wrong. <laughs> Uh, oh, no, I'm a big dummy. I was looking at, uh, not, not the cage, the enclosure that they built for him was 90 foot long and 45 foot wide. Boy, I tell you, I looked at that stat and I was like, a 45 foot wide cage? Like, I know that cage wasn't that big. Wait a minute. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Like, I got messed up just looking at my notes and everything. The enclosure that they were building for him was 90 foot long and 45 foot wide. And whenever they were showing the enclosure, Mark said that it was actually too small. If Gustav was the size that they were claiming him to be, it was too small of an enclosure. They needed to enlarge it, make it much larger and all of that. They also needed to have a shaded area, like put some trees around so that Gustav would be able to regulate his temperature. The type of water that was going to be used needed to be about the same type of water that was found in the Ruzizi River and all of that. Like, it was it was a big deal, like, you know. And so they're working on the enclosure. That's how pretty much... It's not necessarily that they were confident that they were going to capture Gustav. It was just one of those deals of, like, if we capture Gustav, we want to have the enclosure ready to go. Like, they didn't want to just simply, all right, we got him, okay, but now we got to keep him on this trailer or something like that, you know, until we dig this big old giant hole for him and all of that kind of stuff. So they already began construction on the enclosure that he was going to be, um, that he was going to be in. So now, the three scientists are there, they've 
already lost like maybe a week or two, like building the cage and getting things ready and all of that. So now it's time to hunt. We go on the hunt for Gustav and all of that kind of stuff. And they search for him for days upon days upon days for weeks. Like, I don't know exactly how many weeks, but keep in mind, they had two months. Okay. So that's eight weeks. Now it took about two, two, three weeks or so to be able to, we'll say two, let's just say two weeks. Took two weeks to build the cage and all of that kind of stuff, get in the other scientists, like go over everything that they were going to do and all of that kind of stuff. So now all of a sudden they've got six weeks. By the time they actually find Gustav, they only had like maybe two, two weeks left. So it took them a good while to try and find him. Now, I've used by a comparison, it's amazing that they actually found him. Whenever I was talking to Emily, whenever we were watching the documentary and all that kind of stuff, like I paused it and I'll say, can I just say how lucky that they were, that they were actually able to find Gustav? Because I said, think about it. I'm from out in the woods uh, from where, where I grew up at. It's called Heinston and all of that. And it's way out there in the middle of nowhere and all that, surrounded by trees and all of that kind of stuff. There's a lot of creatures and critters out there. I've seen so many armadillos and raccoons and possums and... I've seen a few bobcats, uh, so coyotes, um, that, that's coyotes for you non-Southerner people. But, uh, <laughs> you know, um, like I've seen a lot of animals out there. There's black bears that, uh, that's been out there a few times and all of that kind of stuff. Like, you know, reportedly there are panthers uh, that some people have seen. Um, I believe I've heard one, you know, is it an urban legend? I don't know. That's something else, you know, entirely for me to possibly talk about one day. But anywho... I've seen lots and lots of different animals out there. And I told Emily, I said, them being able to find Gustav where along a river that has hundreds of crocodiles up and down this river, which by the way, since his last reported sighting up until they found him again, it had been two months since anyone had seen Gustav. So it's amazing that they found him. And I told Emily, I said, that would be the equivalent of us going out to Heinston, going out into the woods just for a walk or something, and say we see a raccoon. Okay, there's the raccoon. Say there's something distinctive about him and all of that. Like maybe his tail is solid black. Maybe he's, you know, he's missing a paw or something like that. There's something distinguishable about that raccoon and everything. And then I told her, I said, now we leave. I said, even if we just go back the next day. I said, even just six hours later and say, now find that same raccoon again. That, that, that's going to be a chore. Trying to find that same creature just a little while later. So the fact that Gustav had not been seen for two months and they were able to find him along this river amongst hundreds of other crocodiles is simply amazing. And also just mixed in with luck that they were able to find him. But they did find him, um, like I said, in the documentary, the big reveal of them finding him and everything I thought was really cool. I put it up there with like King Kong and Jaws and all of that kind of stuff. It's really, really cool. The music that was going on, the way the camera worked and all of that, getting to see Gustav for the first time was really, really cool. And this is pretty much the first time that the world got to see Gustav, that the world is learning about Gustav, that's finding out that this monster exists 
and all of that kind of stuff. And so this was the first time that he was actively being watched, that he was being videoed, that he was getting very grade A quality like photos taken and all of that kind of stuff. And so they studied him for a little while while the cage was going to be on its way because the cage was already built. The cage weighed one ton and needed to be moved four miles by hand. So to, just because of the terrain that, you know, is that area, it's on the side of a river and all that kind of stuff. You know, there's tall grass, there's uneven terrain. You can't get a vehicle in there and all of that kind of stuff. So, you know, they have to move this massive cage by hand. And so they enlisted the help of about 40 to 50 villagers and all that. And they just picked the thing up and said, all right, let's go. And off they went to bring the cage to where they had uh, sighted Gustav and all of that. Now, this is when we really get to see the massive size of Gustav. Like in the documentary, like you see him just chilling by himself uh, to the point that Allison Leslie, whenever she first saw him and was looking at him through the binoculars, before she really looked like through the binoculars and was really watching him, she thought he was so big, she thought that he was part of a sandbank. Like she kind of saw his head and she's like, oh, that's a crocodile sitting on a sandbank and all of that. And whenever she looked through the binoculars at him, she's like, there is no sandbank. He was kind of in about, I'd say about six inches of water and all of that. And it's like, that was all croc. Like, that's how massive he is. That a scientist thought that it was another croc sitting on a sandbank when it turns out, no, that was just him. Like, <laughs> that's pretty massive. But this is when we really get to see how large he is because, like I said, there's an uneasy relationship between crocodiles and hippos. But there is a calf, a hippo calf that's in the documentary that had been born. Uh, it was maybe about a year old. It wasn't very large. And the adult hippos see that Gustav is near. They put the calf in the center and they all surround it and you can see that they're wary. And there's video footage of him laying not very far away from adult hippos. And whenever you watch that footage and you see he's not a whole lot smaller than an adult hippo, it kind of like puts it into perspective. Like, holy crap. Just a monster of an animal. Like, I told Emily... I'm like, you know, like imagine the the person that discovered a creature that large. Like that's just the kind of things that go on in my head. Like I think like imagine the first person to ever see a whale. Imagine the first person to ever see an orca. And so one of the things that pops into my head is imagine the very first person to ever see a crocodile. Naturally, they didn't, they probably did not see one that large first. They would see some of the smaller ones and like, well, that looks dangerous. But then imagine the first time ever in human existence, someone stumbled across a croc that massive. That is the size of a hippo, basically. I've told her, I'm like, that's where monster stories come from. That's not just like, oh, that's a big croc or something like that. That's how a horror story gets told 
that that's no longer at this point an animal. That is a monster. Like, you know, he's he's massive. And, like, But, anywho, so the team of scientists, they see him and they're like, okay, it's time to to try and get the capture attempt. Um, they find a perfect spot and all of that kind of stuff. So they bring the cage. They put the cage on a bank to where like it's kind of angled to where the tip of it is just barely into the water so that a croc would be able to swim up in there and then crawl the rest of the way to be able to get to the bait that they were going to have set. So, the stage is set. The capture of Gustav is about to begin. They have already positioned the cage, and whenever nighttime rolls around, because uh, crocs a lot of times are very active at night and all of that kind of stuff, but um, whenever nighttime rolls around, they put cow blood at the front of the cage, like on top of the cage, to be able to, so that a crocodile would be able to smell it and be attracted to it, because a crocodile has very sensitive smelling ability like out of their nose and all that, they can smell blood up to four miles away. And so they put blood on the front of the cage and all of that. And then they, to bait it way back at the end of the cage, they put a cow's head, uh, just so to try and get him to go in there. So nighttime comes and they put a, a, a night vision slash infrared camera on the inside of the cage so that they could monitor things. Now, all throughout the night, they got no no hits. Now, you can see the footage. You'll see a few eyes, like, swimming by, and they stop, and they kind of look at the cage, and then they just keep on going and all of that. And so that went on for a little while, and they thought, well, maybe it's because of the bait. Maybe they just they don't want to... You know, just because it's a cow's head, so it's just hanging there. Maybe they honestly do not know that the cow's head is there. Like, once they get to the cage, you know, because they've smelt the blood, but then they get to looking at it and all of that, and they're like, eh, this is, I can't eat this. You know, so they, they go on about their business and all of that, uh, whatever croc would come by. And so they swapped out the cow's head with a live chicken. They just tied the chicken to the top hoping that with it rustling around and moving around and all of that, its movement and noise would attract a crocodile to come up into the cage. Again, this went on for a few days. Nothing happened. No hits. Same thing. The crocs would just simply come by and look at it and just be like, eh, whatever, and then move on. Patrice begins to believe that the cage isn't really going to work or it's not going to work as well as they thought it did. So he decided to go and put up some massive snare traps to, you know, be like, well, we'll, we'll do this as well. And all of that. And unfortunately, like the snares, they worked, but they didn't work on Gustav. They worked on, you know, much smaller crocodiles, ones that were only about four or five foot long and all of that. And they would go and capture them and release them, you know, and all of that kind of stuff. And, just like, ah, you know, whatever. And um, So then finally, they were very hesitant to do this. They took out the chicken and they put a live goat at the bottom of the cage and all of that because the goat would make noise. It would move around a little bit. And this was pretty much their last ditch effort because they're running out of time. At this point in time, they only have like just two or three days 
until their passes are revoked and they have to leave because of the government change and all of that, and their safety will no longer be able to be guaranteed. And so they get that set up and they wait again, while all the while they are still studying Gustav and all that kind of stuff and watching him and taking video footage and all of that. And they're hoping he will actually get into the cage. So the last night that they were going to be there, a storm comes through. And you can see the footage from the camera. Like it's raining pretty hard and you start to see the feed cutting out a little bit and then the feed just dies. Whenever they come out the next day, the cage is partially submerged into the water. The goat is gone. So since the storm knocked out the feed to the camera, they have no idea what happened. We're never going to know what happened. It will always be a mystery as to what happened there. Did the water, did the storm cause the water to rise and shift the cage? I don't know. A one-ton cage? Who, who knows? Now, water is powerful. It's not out of the realm of possibilities to be able to move something that weighs a ton, but still, you know, like, you, you like, did Gustav start to go inside and the cage partially closed and he was able to fight his way out? Where did the goat go? You know, I mean, did whenever the cage started shifting, did the rope snap? Did the rope come unloose and the goat was able to get out? Like, who knows? No one knows what happened. But unfortunately, that was their last-ditch effort. They was not going to have time to be able to reset the cage and all of that kind of stuff. That was it. They were done. Their safety could no longer be guaranteed. The capture attempt was a failure, and they were forced to leave. Now, like I said, all of that happened in 2004. And it introduced Gustav the Crocodile to the world. Everyone was very fascinated with him. Like, the documentary got very good reception, very good reviews, and all of that. The whole world now knew that Gustav existed. And after the team left Burundi, sightings of Gustav stopped. There were no reported uh, crocodile attacks for six months after the team had left. So it started, like, people started to get worried. Like, did something happen to Gustav whenever the new government came in and the military was there? Did they go out and kill Gustav? You know, like, who knows? Well, then he was seen in 2009 on the banks of the Ruzizi River. Uh, you know, a pretty good amount of years after the documentary had aired. Um, he was seen again in, a, a resident claims to have seen him in 2016 attacking a water buffalo and dragging it into the water. But there's no other evidence other than his eyewitness account saying that I saw this. Now, in 2019, there was a magazine that's called Travel Africa Magazine. 
and the person that wrote a particular blog or something about travel in Africa or something like, you know, a, a section of the magazine reported that he had heard that Gustav had been killed. Didn't mention by who, didn't mention anything, and like I said, that was back in 2019. However, there's absolutely been no evidence that's ever surfaced that Gustav has been killed. But now let's say that he was seen in 2009. Let's say that the resident was telling the truth and he was seen in 2016. It is now 2023. It's been a number of years since he's been seen. It's been a number of years since anybody has reported seeing him or hearing of him attacking somebody. So where is he? Is he dead? Maybe natural causes. You know, at the time, they pretty much estimated him, at the time of this documentary, they estimated him to be 60 years old. They had originally estimated him to be around 100 years old, but whenever they actually started studying him and he would open up his mouth, he had a full set of teeth. Whereas scientists would basically say that if a, if a crocodile or an alligator was around 100 years old, they would have lost a pretty good amount of teeth and all of that kind of stuff so like they don't believe that he was a hundred and so he's now been estimated to be about 60 years old and even at 60 years old they said that that like he was potentially still growing so if he is still out there he is potentially much larger than what he was when by the time this documentary came out and all of that i do not believe he was killed did he die of natural causes it is possible um, unfortunately, if he did die of natural causes and his carcass was, you know, just somewhere on the river or whatever, like I said, there are hundreds of crocodiles there. They would have fed on him. They would have eaten him. It is very possible that he could have died of natural causes and then was consumed by other crocodiles. And then, you know, that's it. We'll never see or hear or have anything to do with Gustav ever again. I do not believe he was killed by the military or by poachers. Because, just because of his sheer size, because of the things that distinguish him from other crocodiles, anyone that would have killed a croc that massive, whether you're a poacher or the military or something like that, there would have been photos. There would have been a video. There would have been something. No one is going to kill a creature that large and then just be like, oh well, he's dead now, and then go on about their business. Like, it's just not... It's just not going to happen. So I do not believe anybody killed him, but I do believe it is possible that he died of natural causes. But also it's just possible that he moved to another territory. Um, who knows? Uh, personally, I'm rooting for him. I hope he's still out there. I hope he's still alive. Um, you know, I don't want you guys to think that, like, I'm just team man-eater. You know, I want him to to attack and kill other people. That's not the case at all, but I'm, I'm an animal lover. I'm very, very fascinated with animals in general and crocodiles slash alligators are one of my favorites. And he is a very famous croc. I don't necessarily want him to be captured. I don't necessarily want him to be in an enclosure. I do believe that he should remain free. Uh, cause I think he's just earned his keep at this point. If he is 60 years old and 20 foot long, like, he's king, you know? Like, there's not very many animals that's going to be able to take him down. 
he's he's one of the most formidable animals in existence. And I don't know. I hope he's he's still alive. I check on it pretty often, believe it or not. Uh, probably every other week I look stuff up. Has there been a new sighting of Gustav? Yes, that seems a little obsessive, but it's just how I am. I really, really like Gustav. I like reading about him and all of that kind of stuff. And I really, really, really do hope that he is still alive and that he's pretty much out there and he's just, he's doing well, just doing his crocodile thing. But the other big thing concerning Gustav, and I know I've mentioned this film a number of times, is that, you know, like I said, the documentary came out in 2004. So naturally, because the documentary was so fascinating and it pretty much took the world by storm and introduced everybody to the monster known as Gustav and all of that, naturally, there had to be a movie made of it. And so in 2007, there was a film that came out called Primeval. And it was originally going to be titled Gustav. But um, the film came out and it's a dud. I'm not a super big fan of it. I mean, it's kind of a, it's kind of a guilty pleasure for me, uh, to be honest with you. It's um, the special effects are kind of, eh, you know, very early 2000s typical special effects. Um, they really upsized Gustav. They pretty much attribute a lot of things to Gustav that he did not do. They paint the, uh, Patrice Faye, um, was very against the film because they paint, uh, Burundi, the African country in general as being much more worse off than it actually is. Like the, the villagers as well as like the military are portrayed as being like almost barbaric and stuff like that. And so he wasn't very thrilled with all of that. Um, you know, and also just the scenes with Gustav just really weren't all that great. <laughs> like the, they did show like the capture attempt and all of that. Um, they pretty much make it to where, you know, they did put a goat inside the, the cage, but then a young boy gets inside the cage to try to help capture Gustav and Gustav shows up and there's a whole attack scene of him destroying the cage and all of that kind of stuff. Like, you know, it's very, very loosely based on Gustav, the crocodile, but there's a whole lot less of Gustav in the film than what I liked. They really put a whole lot more focus on the human characters that are about as dull as, you know, a, a knife that you find buried in the dirt. And it's very, like, they focused a lot on the politics and just human drama and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, dude, nobody walked into this movie wanting to watch all this kind of crap. Like, we wanted to see Gustav. We wanted to see the crocodile, you know? And so that's pretty much the only other thing, um, as far as other media goes, that Gustav has ever been featured in. So. All right, everybody. That pretty much does it for... My very first segment on real-life kaiju, Gustav the Crocodile. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this. I really do. Um, like I said, I'm going to use this as a test run. Uh, look at the the overall views that the episode gets. Um, listen to the or read the messages that people send me on if they want me to continue to do 
like uh, these type of episodes and all of that kind of stuff. And, you know, if it gets good enough reception, then I'll continue to do it. If not, then, you know, oh, well. <laughs> um, you know, because I have to listen to you guys. You know, I don't want to just... I know a lot of people would be like, it's your podcast. Talk about whatever you want. And yeah, well, if I talk about something that nobody wants to listen to and I'm not getting any listeners, then what's the point in having a podcast, you know? So, <laughs> you know, I definitely try to pay attention to what you guys like and what you don't like and all of that kind of stuff. So let me know what you thought about this episode and if you would like to see more of this in the future. Uh, let me know if you want to hear me talk about um, Lolong the Crocodile that I mentioned, the Philippine, the the. Uh, croc that was captured in the Philippines that holds the Guinness Book of World Records as the largest uh, crocodile ever recorded. Um, you know, there's a whole documentary on him and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, so yeah, let me know if uh, if you guys want to hear an episode on him or anything. Or uh, you know, like I'm I'm a big I'm a big fan into like you know studying man eaters and all of that kind of stuff. It doesn't have to just be massive animals. I mean, I could talk about the man-eating lions of Savo, which was a, a duo of lions that are attributed to have killed possibly 300 plus, um, residents of a place called Savo and everything. There was a movie made of it called the ghost in the darkness. Uh, me and Chris actually talked about that on his podcast, Kid Kong. Uh, we talked about the ghost in the darkness. So if you want to hear a little bit about that movie or a little bit about the actual, event that that was based on and everything just go over to kid kong at the movies and find um the episode on the ghost in the darkness and we could talk about that or you can listen to us talk about that but um yeah if you guys want me just to talk about other man eaters in general you know i could talk about the shark attacks that inspired jaws and all of that that was um jaws was inspired by real life shark attacks back in 1912 i believe um yeah just let me know but, um, next week, a week from today, at the time of this recording, I'm going to be going way back to talk about a film that was made in 1957, the classic film, The Giant Claw. It's been a little while since I've talked about a film that was made in the 50s, and I've wanted to talk about The Giant Claw for a good while now, so I'm very much looking forward to getting to that. And also, keep in mind, this Wednesday, I will be giving my official review of Shin Ultraman. Um, it will be a negative review. Just throwing that out there. Um, but I will talk about some of the things that I did like. It's not a lot, but there's a few. And I will talk about that as well. So, alright guys. Thank you all so much. As always, you guys are the best. Check me out on all of my social medias. On Facebook, I'm Kaiju Carnage, a Godzilla slash King Kong podcast. I have a Godzilla Ultima fan page and a Power Rangers Forever fan page as well. And then on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube, I am Cal the Kaiju Guy. I posted something on TikTok just prior to uh, recording this episode. On It's just a poll on if you enjoyed Shin Ultraman, if you'd seen it or not. So if you've seen the film, go vote. Let me know what your thoughts were on the film and all of that kind of stuff. If you liked it or if you didn't like it. So, alright guys, again, thank you. You guys are the best. We'll catch y'all this Wednesday for my review of Shin Ultraman, and we will catch y'all next week for the Giant Claw. This is Cal the Kaiju Guy, signing out.